calling this talk Undefended Heart 2022. Because I've talked about living with an undefended heart for many years. I started, I started it, oh gosh, I don't know, 10, 12 years ago. It's been part of my practice. It's been how I frame my practice. And um, I think it's incredibly important. And when we have moments in the world like we have right now, which the word that comes up for me is relentless, it makes me um, reflect on what it means to live with an undefended heart. And so I just wanted to kind of reflect on that this evening. And when I say relentlessness, um, the current moment being so relentless, it's, well, A, we've, we're still coming out of the pandemic, but there's the, and the mental health ramifications of that. And then the insurrection um, and then the continued disintegration of our national discourse. It's this, this, this growth of this, you know, the two sides with very wide gap in between. And then, you know, the violence of the last week and a half, the last two weeks with Buffalo and Laguna and Niguel and, and Texas, Uvalde, Texas, and just the horror and the sadness and, um, and the Roe v. Wade and the erosion of voting rights. And, you know, somewhere this week when I was listening to all the coverage about Texas, I was like, and then there's still Ukraine. There's still Ukraine. Um, and and uh, so many things. So there's I, what, it, what it looks like for, to me, what this reminds me of, it's like these, these spikes that just kind of, or like lightning strikes, it's all these things that just come, 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 come. And then there's the underpinnings beneath all these things of the systemic oppression that is everywhere, the, the white supremacy and the misogyny and the, the racism, the, the um, anti, you know, the xenophobia, anybody who doesn't look like you, whatever you look like, the othering of so many people and the, the prison industrial complex and climate change and homelessness and... Um, so there's that, those underpinnings. And then there's what's up in our daily life. You know, there's the things we're dealing with on a personal level, and we all have our own stories around that. There's illnesses, there's challenges, there's economic concerns, there's inflation, there's all kinds of things, all kinds of things. And so it can seem incredibly overwhelming. And when I mention living with an undefended heart, it almost makes the head spin. It's like, what? does that even mean? Because the, the tendency is just to batten down the hatches. And, um, you know, but so that's why I've been looking at this a lot. And I really think that the core of the Buddha's teaching, not that he used this phrase, but living undefendedly, where we let go of everything that gets in the way with intimacy with the current moment. That includes our ideas of should and what it's supposed to look like and this and that and how I'm supposed to feel or not feel or think or not think and whether, um, you know, I say it again and again and again, my annoyance with the people who park in front of my house because I know they're shopping at the gun store around the corner, you know, that type of thing, um, which we get caught up in and so... Um, but the, the invitation is to be intimate with everything, 
without preference. It's the preference that gets in the way of our intimacy with the current moment. And so what came up for me were a bunch of questions. What does that look like? Living with an undefended heart. What does that look like? What does it even mean? Is it even possible? Do I even want it? You know, when we're emotionally drained, how does that work? And it's a terrifying idea to some folks. And will we be safe? Will it be too painful? I remember the first time I talked about, or one of the first times I talked about living with an undefended heart and someone in, in the class asked uh, or said she was terrified when she thought about it. It's a, it can be a scary proposition. What does it mean? What does it mean? And, you know, when I was, my husband has the TV on a lot, and I point over there because he's a couple of rooms over, and I, I kind of hear it in the background sometimes, or I'll walk through and listening to it this week, he's got MSNBC on and listening to it in the talking heads, and but primarily like when I hear like the governor or the police reports and this, and I just, I scream at the TV. I've only heard it for three seconds or a minute, or I'll stop for a moment and listen. I just, so much rage, and I just want to, and then I go, Wise speech. Do I really have to pay attention to wise speech? Can I forget wise speech in these moments? And so there's the, all that stuff comes up. Um, all the anger that's there, all the sadness that's there. It's, you know, I, I walk through right now with angry, sad as the emotion that's most prevalent. It's, it's angry and sad um, at the same time. And um, today or the other day I drove by... Um, you know, that, so there's anger when I listen to people on the TV or I read things. And, and then um, the other day, Thursday, I drove by, a, there was a middle school over here. There is a middle school over here. And it was like 1030 in the morning and all the kids were out in the yard and they were either in recess or at gym or whatever. And they were playing and I just started crying. I just started crying. So there's this tremendous sadness that's there too. So there's this angry, sad, angry, sad, angry, sad. And it was just by coincidence this week that I was in the morning meditation that I was talking about the third foundation of mindfulness, which is to recognize the Buddha said no when angry, sad is present. He didn't say angry, sad, but he said no when things are present. No when the emotion is there. Know the mood of the mind. Know that. It's so important to know it. Because when we don't know it is when we become reactive. I mean, I could punch people from anger unless I have this second level awareness, this wisdom. Um, it's all about paying attention. It's all about mindfulness. It's all about being willing to recognize what's happening. Um, the second foundation of mindfulness is, is important there too. It's the recognition of when things are pleasant or unpleasant. And it's so unpleasant, right? There's so much unpleasantness right now. And we want to do something about it. We want to fix it or change it or, or uh, move into some kind of reactivity. Some kind of reactivity. Even when we um, get into this place of how can I help? What can I do? That's a reactivity. I mean, A, there's the, the genuine wanting to help, but then sometimes it's driven by this need to make the feeling go away. If I can make this situation stop, 
then I don't have to feel this. Instead of just recognizing this is the feeling that's here, how can I be with this? That's when you're moving towards an undefended heart, this willingness to touch the challenging experiences. Another thing we can tend to do at these moments in time is to move into spiritual bypass, which is using spiritual tools to avoid the present moment, especially when it's unpleasant. And you, you get that a lot from people who, uh, when you say something tragic has happened or someone passed away, not even related to what's going on, but just in general, and the, the, the response will be, well, everything's impermanent. You know, lifting themselves out of the having to feel. It's just like, I'm just going to smash it down with this, this spiritual principle so I don't have to feel. That's not what it's about. It's about these spiritual principles, principles are about, again, being fully with. Being fully with. I can't remember... The, the, that, there was that one poem, Araya Mountain Dancer, I think is her name. I think it's called The Promise. I think it's called The Promise, where she, she lists all these things about, I don't care what your sign is. I don't care what you do for a living. I don't care who you know, what car you drive. I, I'm just paraphrasing. She goes, I want to know if you will sit with me in the middle of the night, you know, when the kids are sick, and I want to know... Will you let your heart break? You know, the reality, the, the truth, that's, that's, the, that's the place of, of connection, not the spiritual, the ethereal, the intellectual. It's really, can you open your heart to what's present? Um, you know, the emotions that arise in these moments are natural. They're normal. Why wouldn't we feel these things? They're absolutely make perfect sense. And we can't help what shows up. I can't help this anger that shows up. I can't help this sadness that shows up. But the invitation is to be with them wisely, to hold them in a space, to make a space so that, that we, we greet them um, wisely and in a way that's um, um, safe for us. You know, and so that we don't run. Um, there's a tendency, or sometimes people think, because I've heard it from people, that when I offer this teaching or people talk about this type of practice, they think they have to just go full bore and be with the most difficult things, like just raw, just like uh, bear down. It's like when people do loving-kindness practice, metta practice for the first time, and you invite them to think of a difficult person, they immediately, often, immediately go to the absolute worst person they've ever met, their, their most horrific abuser. And they go, I can't do that. And it's like, you don't start there. You don't start with the, the line is, you don't start with Hitler. You know, you start with the annoying neighbor. I start with the people who park and go shopping at the gun store. That's who I start with. Um, that is where you start with this, this invitation to open the heart as well. It's like oh, so many of us have so much trauma. So many of us don't have 
the wherewithal to greet these things. So we do it with wisdom. We recognize, and sometimes we get help. Um, sometimes we merely put a toe in until it seems like a bit overwhelming, and then we're absolutely, the invitation is to pull back. Absolutely. Um, so it's really taking care of ourselves, which is wisdom, insight, recognizing what's present leads to, to is insight, which leads to wisdom and clarity. So we see these things. And when we've allowed ourselves to pause because we recognize, oh, when something's unpleasant, I want to lash out. Um, when, it's un, when it's pleasant, I want to cling. We rec begin to recognize how that shows up with us. We recognize our own tendencies. And then we can work with them as they show up in our lives skillfully, wisely, in a, in a kind way. You don't have to do it all at once. It's like toe in the water, foot in the water, hand in the water. Um, you know, and I, and, I, and I mentioned that, you know, we can't help the emotions that show up. And a lot of times, and this is another comment, especially with what's going on right now, anger. How can, how can I, well, it's often with forgiveness and compassion and kindness, those teachings around this. It's like we acknowledge the emotions that are here. We acknowledge the anger that's here, but we don't, we really try not to let them take over so that we don't act from them, you know? We can use the anger, I had a very wise teacher say, well, you can use the anger as a catalyst, as a springboard to work towards change, whatever that is, whatever that situation is. But we don't want to be overcome by it because when I'm overcome by emotion, I'm not thinking very clearly. I'm, the emotion is calling the shots rather than something with a little bit more wisdom and clarity. Like I was... During the meditation this evening, you know, I was inviting us to move into a place of equanimity of not being caught up in sounds or thoughts or emotions. And I was very, very aware of this heaviness that's sitting in my chest and my gut. Just really aware. It's just kind of been hanging out for a few days, a week or two. Maybe it's the angry, maybe that's what angry sad feels like. I know what anger feels like. I know what sad feels like. Maybe that's what angry sad feels like. And it's like, I don't have to do anything about it. It's there. I can acknowledge it. I don't, I don't have to push it away. That's an undefended heart, a willingness to be intimate with the moment, with what's right here. And as I was saying, we don't dive, off the deep, dive into the deep end right away. We, we have to take care of ourselves as we move into this, this practice of of living with an undefended heart. We start where we are. We can't start anywhere else. Where are you? What's up for you? Tend to that. Tend to what's causing the discomfort in this moment. It's like oftentimes, as because we, we, I don't know if it's a lot of us or a few of us, but I have a tendency to think um, and people have told me they feel the same way that when they hear something, they immediately think they have to do it all at once. It's like living with an undefended heart. Come on, come on, come on. It has to be all defended. Just like, ah! And it's like, no, it doesn't. It's like little by little by little by little. That's how I did it. It's like, what is so painful right now? What's causing me the most suffering in this moment? 
that's what I want to address. And that's where the healing happens. In the, in the, to use the Buddhist language, the purification, I'm able to be with those scary, scary, scary emotions. The scary emotions. Sit with them, hold them, be compassionate towards them, be compassionate towards me, the emotions. And oftentimes they're not as awful as I think they're going to be. And then, I, and then there's this ease with them. So I'm no longer afraid because fear runs so much of this. Fear defines so many of our actions. So I can just be with. Just be with. You know, um, and then there's that little piece is open and, and, and vulnerable. And then what, what's next? We don't know what's next until we work with what's here. You know, and uh, an undefended heart takes work. It doesn't come, as I said, all at once. And, and it can be an aspiration. Even if it seems like the, the most asinine idea in the world, to hold it as a, hmm, I wonder if that's even possible. Just to have that reflection is a step in the, the direction. You know, an aspiration, an intention to move that way is so helpful, so beneficial. Um, because it starts shifting how we view things and moving us in a particular way. It's like, that's what I was thinking of when I was yelling at the TV the other day and just wanted to punch, wish, you know, wishing you can reach through and just punch the person on the other side. I was also having the awareness of this doesn't do, that doesn't do anything. It doesn't, it doesn't have an impact. You can have the anger, but you don't have to react to it. Um, not stifling it in a, you shouldn't do that, but it's just the bigger picture, the clarity around, wow, okay, I understand this, I see this experience that you, you want to lash out, but I would rather move in a wise speech kind of way. I would rather move in a way that is, is, um, doesn't cause more, more harm. As they say, I don't want to become what I'm working against. I don't want to become those people that I think are causing harm. I don't want to just jump on the bandwagon and be another harm causer. It's, it demands clarity. It demands wisdom. It demands pause. You know? And then another piece of undefended heart is a cultivation of forgiveness and compassion. Forgiving ourselves. Forgiving others. Doesn't mean we... Um, condone people's actions but we don't carry the animosity with us there's absolutely accountability in this practice absolutely people must be held accountable for their actions but I don't want to harbor hatred because it only impacts me it doesn't impact the other person and just as I am a conditioned being and the harm I have caused is through my delusion, my being caught up in greed, hatred, and delusion, ignorance. So are other people. Everybody's caught in delusion. Everybody's caught in delusion. And then when you get caught, then it just kind of sometimes, some people, it just grows and festers and just kind of encompasses and causes so much suffering and so much harm. Um... You have to, you can work towards ending that in whatever way makes sense, but I want to not carry that hatred in my heart. So working for forgiveness and compassion 
And the more I can do it for myself, the easier it is to hold for others. Again, it's, it's this, this, this practice builds on itself. It's so, for me, very counterintuitive. It doesn't seem to make sense, but it's been my experience. As, as I can bring compassion and forgiveness to myself, my own experience, my own behaviors, um, the more open I am to others. Undefended. It's the undefended heart. I can, there's a connection, too. There's a humanity. There's this, this movement into recognition of our shared humanity. You know? Um, and when it's, when it's overwhelming... When these emotions are overwhelming, take a step back. Watch a movie. Watch a baseball game. Listen to music. Eat chocolate. Do what, do what makes you feel better. It's really important to take care of ourselves. The Nat Ministry. She is explicit about, you know, this grind culture that we're in. Gotta achieve. Gotta, 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 gotta. It's, it's a direct you know, part of the colonial mindset, this, this white supremacist colonial must-achieve mindset, and which doesn't serve anyone, really intentionally step away from it. Even with um, tragedies such as this where we think we have to be involved all the time, it's like we have to guard our sense doors. We have to take care of ourselves. It doesn't mean we don't care. But what, what can I do right here? It's like, I can, let me take care of myself so I, I can re-energize and, and step out when necessary. And don't miss the joy, because there is joy. Those kids in the playground were having a lot of fun the other day. Yesterday morning, I drove up this way and drove past the high school. Um, and I guess it was their graduation, because they have a ball field with you know bleachers, and there were people just marching, not marching, but coming towards the bleachers with flowers and things. And I'm like, oh, it's graduation. There's a lot of joy there. If joy is present, be with joy. It doesn't mean you're a bad person. I'm, I'm seeing a lot of joy on Facebook and Instagram. People are experiencing joy. It's okay. It doesn't mean you're an uncaring, unfeeling person. It means you're intimate with the experience that's present. If you push joy away, that's a form of aversion. No, I'm not allowed. That's a story you're getting caught up in. It's absolutely okay to have joy. So the question always comes up, especially around these moments um, when there's these tr horrific tragedies and this whole string of horrific tragedies in a week and a half. Um, we want to do everything. I'm just throwing that out. I know not everybody wants to do everything, but we want to a lot of times address, okay, gun, I want to address gun control, and I want to address this, and I want to, and I have to, I have to go over here with climate change, and I have to, how can I work on, on the unhoused problem and, and mass incarceration? And so we want to, you can't. It's impossible, and it's easy to burn out. And so what you might want to do is recognize where your interest is. Like I know people who are just so committed to climate change and working on that or other people who are really in um, um, working on, um, you know, deconstructing the, 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 the prison, 
you know, the school to prison pipeline and the mass incarceration and working on that. And so many people have different areas. I, I, I belong to an organization, or I'm the board of an organization that works toward economic justice. And so that's where their focus is. And so don't be, you know, let yourself be drawn to what serves you or what interests you. Maybe it's, you know, it doesn't have to be anything grandiose. It can, it can just be what it is. Be a nice person, you know. And um, sometimes you can give time. Sometimes you can give money. Some things, everything is different for everybody. But recognize what's the great saying. Do what you can in the time you have with um, where you are. What is it? What you have. With, do what you can with the time you have. I can't remember, but it's like do what you can where you are that kind of thing. That's enough. That's enough. And follow that path, you know, and just recognize things are messy. Life is messy. It's not going to get fixed in our lifetime. It's not going to get fixed in our lifetime. So what can we do today? What makes sense today? You know, that's another, yeah, election reform, vote, you know, that type of thing. What can we do today? What makes sense for you? And not because you need the pain to go away, but because you you face the pain, you face the suffering head on, and say this this sucks. And how do I how do I work towards ending suffering, not just for myself, but for all beings? We work for the benefit of all beings. We practice for the benefit of all beings, you know. And let go of your your ideas of what it's supposed to be, and just do with you know do with what's right here. I I always return to. John Lewis's quote that it's not, we don't just, you know, it's not going to happen in our lifetime. It's not going to happen with the next presidential election. It's the work of generations. So recognize that too. Be comfortable with that experience. You know, live with the undefended heart, the reality of the human condition, the reality of the human condition. And, um, I'm going to close with a few um, quotes from um, well, one from James Baldwin. I just saw this the other day, although it's not a new quote, or maybe I found it again the other day. He said, I am terrified at the moral apathy and the death of the heart which is happening in my country. You know, he wrote this 50, 60 years ago. The death of the heart, which is, you know, the, the converse of that is the developing the heart is so important. An undefended heart is a very much a living heart, a fully engaged heart. And the apathy is the death of the heart. So we have to really be willing to become, let our hearts be engaged with the world. And now I, there's a few other quotes from um, Bell Hooks, who writes beautifully about loving and the importance of loving. And, and, you know, an undefended heart is grounded in love, is grounded in compassion. And so these quotes, although it's not about undefended heart per se, they really, really uh, resonate. She said, when we choose to love, we choose to move against fear, against alienation and separation. The choice to love is a choice to connect, to find ourselves in the other. That's undefended. 
When we drop fear, we can draw nearer to people, we can draw nearer to the earth, we can draw nearer to all the heavenly creatures that surround us. To be loving is to be open to grief, to be touched by sorrow, even sorrow that is unending. We have to be willing to be with what is, even if that sorrow is unending. Intimacy with the present moment with no preference. That is an undefended heart, and that is an incredibly powerful place from which to move, from which to see the world. Because if you can be open to grief and to be touched by sorrow regardless, that's a tremendous freedom. Tremendous freedom. So, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you so much, my friends. Thank you for your, your, your kind attention, and I hope this has been of some benefit. Thank you for visiting Undefended Dharma. These teachings are freely offered. However, if you would like to make a donation to help support the technology that makes these podcasts possible, please visit marystancavage.org backslash support. Thank you.